Welcome to Women Waken, a podcast that helps you heal spiritually from trauma in relationships, childhood, and early life conditioning to shift from a place of codependency to a state of divine feminine love, acceptance, harmony, and abundance. On Women Waken, we begin the journey to waken from the illusion of needing to prove our worth into the divine experience of knowing our worth. I'm your host, Whitney Walker. I'm a licensed mental health therapist, and I specialize in substance abuse, addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. I'm also a fellow human being who has faced most of the issues that I explore on this show. On today's guest episode, I welcome the divine Jana Wilson. Jana is the author of the book, Wise Little One, Learning to Love and Listen to My Inner Child. She's also the creator of the Emotional Healing System and a hypnotherapist, speaker, and retreat leader. I had the privilege of receiving Jana's book and getting to read it before it was even released a few months ago. And this book is absolutely fantastic and a remarkable resource. And on this episode, her and I talk about all the themes that she brought into this book around identifying and working with and healing our inner child, developing a relationship with our inner child, and really falling in love with ourselves and finding peace in chaos and change without throughout our lives. So take a listen and enjoy. Hi, Jana. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Hi, Whitney. I'm so happy to be here with you. So excited to have you, Jana. It's been so wonderful to have met you and to be connected with you. You have done amazing work in your life. You have just birthed a beautiful book that I had the privilege to read. You were kind enough to send it to me before our interview. It's called Wise Little One. And it's the story of learning to love and listen to your inner child, which has been a huge part of your work. Yes, absolutely. And the book too, if I may just kind of share a little bit for the listeners, it it was, you know, a long time in the making, but like anything, it, if timing's not there and and timing wasn't, I hadn't fully gotten to a place where I felt like I, it, I had healed a lot of my childhood, certainly, but there's always another layer and nobody wants to read a story about somebody who's still kind of in the thick of it, right? We need to be on the other side. So I certainly... I'm on the other side because I met my beloved and corrected a lot of that in intergenerational trauma. And that's what I wrote about in the book and fell in love with little Jana ultimately. Yeah. Which is such an important message for people to hear because, well, first of all, I I'm a big advocate of inner child work as a therapist. That's something I do very often with clients and I've done so much in my own life and I found it so profound and so healing. I think it's one of the most transformational things we can do because acknowledging that there truly is a child inside of us always that deserves love and acceptance and full kindness and embrace helps us remember that how we treat ourselves matters. Absolutely. Yeah. And the inner child is 
as you said, always there because our emotions are always there. And that's what the inner child is. It represents our emotional self. When we were little under the age of seven, we were all emotion, right? We just saw everything. We perceived everything through the lens of our emotional um, state and um, emotion, energy in motion, right? That we were always, you know, feeling and sensing and interpreting and once we're older and you start to do inner child work, you begin to realize that often we operate from a wounded child or what I would call like the ego even or an adult child, right? We see it with road rage or when we act out emotionally, very um, childish, not childlike. For me, I just had so much shame from my childhood that I didn't, I couldn't connect with that little girl. She was so sweet and innocent and deserving, but I didn't believe that, you know, I was, you know, in college in those years, I was giving myself away. I was being promiscuous. I didn't value myself, frankly, because I was conditioned by two parents who didn't value themselves. So of course they didn't value me. So once I found inner child work and I started to relate with myself, there is a part of me that's pure and innocent, that's deserving, that's lovable, that's valuable. That was a game changer, Whitney. And it wasn't easy, you know, to look into the eyes of my teacher when I was working on embracing my innocence. I am pure and innocent. The whole time in my mind, I was thinking, no, I've done this and that. And I've got all this evidence to prove to you. I'm guilty. I'm shameful. I'm a bad girl. But that was just my conditioned character of, you know, that I was playing. It wasn't the truth of who I was because the truth of who we all are is divine and perfect and holy. But until we can really connect, I think the inner child is the path to that is is finding your innocence and your lovability. Yes, because it almost puts it because sometimes it can be hard to forgive and to embrace and to love ourselves when we feel sense of regret, of guilt, of things that we've done, but when you look at it and put yourself as a child and as if something you can look at and honor, you see you can see the innocence. You can see the deservedness of love and acceptance no matter what. And mm -hmm. I often offer this to clients. I say, if your five-year-old self did something wrong, would you condemn her? Would you say, would you scold her? Would you tell her how horrible she is and that she's no longer deserving of love or a good life? And they say, no, I wouldn't ever do that to any child. And I say, well, then why would you do it to yourself? Yeah. Yeah, because we're so identified with, again, that conditioned character we're playing as an adult. You know, I am mother, wife, girlfriend, single, whatever it is, we're playing roles. And when we identify that we are that role and we haven't, we're very multidimensional beings, right? So that little innocent child, once I began to think, okay, you know, one of the slogans I hate, I hate to hear this is, oh, they did the best they could, right? Talking about our parents or anybody, a, a boyfriend, a spouse, somebody who's hurt us. Oh, they, I look at my own life and I realize there were times I did not do the best I could. 
I knew I could have done better, but because at the root, I didn't feel worthy, I behaved a certain way. Now, once I began to really live and embody this connection with my wise little one, with my inner child, then I made different decisions, right? Because now I can say, you know, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you kind of make amends to that little girl when I behave in certain ways, never bypassing it with, well, I did the best I could, right? Maybe I did the best I could with the information I had, but certainly there's times where I know that my intent wasn't the best and I didn't do the best I could. Right. Others don't either. Right. Yeah. And it does help us see, I think as we get on our healing journey, we, we want to have awareness, right? That's the way that you heal. That's the way that you change. And so I think a good indicator I know for me is just like you said, when I get into certain situations and I respond in a certain way, I can say, oh, there's still more healing to be done. There's still Mm -hmm. part of me because if I truly valued and loved myself, I wouldn't have acted that way. I wouldn't have done this. And so it's saying, just as you said, you can say, I didn't do the best I could. So what can I do now to heal and attend to myself so that when this comes around again, because life lessons will will come right back at you (laughs) in a different form, how can I respond differently? And Jana, you and I were just talking about how that also happens in relationships. If we're Mm -hmm. tired of what feel like unhealthy, dead end, discouraging relationships, there's a reason why those same type of people keep coming around to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that it really goes back to like old teachings, um, the mirror of relationship. So that everybody is mirroring something back to ourselves. Like, so you know, I've I think I shared this with you before. Like, I had a client, or I've had you know participants at retreats, and they'll say, you know, I'm in relationship with someone, and and he's emotionally unavailable. Or, you know, he'll talk down to me. And so I'll just ask the question, do you think or who who in your life do you respect a woman that you see that she inspires you that she usually it's a woman, if if we're talking about women that that, you know, they they really are looking up to somebody actually they're casting their own shadow on someone i'll say would that woman who values herself be in a relationship with someone who talks down to them who emotionally is unavailable and they're always like of course not of course you know she wouldn't be so then it's not about changing the partner that's the challenge i think when we do couples therapy or when we're, you know, we get very focused on the other person and the changes they need to make rather than understanding that they're mirroring something to us about ourselves. And that if, and we have control over that, we have no control over them, but we do have control if we could, you know, over ourselves and our own beliefs and behaviors. So, you know, I share in the book about the the guy that I, after my, you know, separation, I'm going through a divorce and, and I date this guy and he was emotionally volatile and probably borderline personality disorder, you know, now that I look back at it for sure. And I couldn't understand, I'd done so much work. How could I be in a relationship 
at that time, right? With somebody who, who behaved that way. But the more I kept turning it on myself, I moved through that relationship quickly. I was able to get to the place of saying, okay, no more because I deserve better. Yes. Yes. And it takes what it takes. You know, again, we have to be mindful of not beating ourselves up because sometimes we're like, how could I have stayed in that relationship or even gotten into it? But those are what allow us to have these realizations that I deserve better than this. I deserve to treat myself better and think more highly of myself so that I don't have any intention or interest in engaging with somebody who's going to put see me in a, at a lower rung or whatever it is that thinks that they can treat me poorly. And we only allow that when we think of ourselves poorly because it feels fami- it feels right. It's familiar. Familiar. It's familiar. So my dad, you know, I witnessed my dad being very misogynistic, you know, towards women. I grew up in the South. I mean, I witnessed my dad not respecting my mother. Of course, he didn't respect himself. And so it was familiar for me to attract men that were similar. I got better and better at it as I got older, attracting, you know, men that were less abusive or less, you know, um, destructive. But as long as I kept the war within myself and, you know, not accepting myself, not loving myself, of course, I was always attracting men that it was a match, right? We say opposites attract. No, no. birds of a feather flock together. We attract what we are at a deeper self, right? Might not be obvious. Somebody might say, well, I'm in an abusive relationship. I'm not abusive. Yeah, you are. You're abusive to yourself or you wouldn't be in an abusive relationship. You might not abuse others, but you abuse the most important person, which is you. Yes, completely. And that can feel so discouraging when we realize that, that Mm. we can blame somebody else and claim that somebody else was so toxic and so terrible. Yet again, we only attract the way that we treat ourselves. So in order to be in an unhealthy relationship with someone else, we have to be in an unhealthy relationship with ourselves. And that's what's hard to see is, oh, great. (laughs) This is about how, and, but the reality is that, and I'm sure you felt this way, but when I've realized that it's so obvious, I can't, you know, of course, yeah, of course I I criticize myself. I don't accept myself. I'm very disapproving. That's not healthy. That's not loving. So once you realize that you say, and to me, that's a real turning point where you really have to decide how do I want to live? How do I want to experience myself and others and relationships in life? Because it can feel impossible to accept ourselves sometimes, but the reality is that the easiest thing in the world to do is embrace ourselves. Doesn't feel that way, but just as you spoke to, we are all at our core divine and unconditionally loved always by the universe. And that lives within us. That's what we are. So and, and that's what I find so fascinating about the way that humans live as we live in almost the most difficult way to live, which is predominantly rejection of the self, criticism of the self, low self-esteem, low self-confidence, low self-worth. That has no basis in who we truly are. And we're really at a time where more of us are wakening up to the fact that we don't have to live this way and that we right. were never meant to. So I think that's why more and more people are finally making that choice of, I don't want to live this way anymore. It's exhausting. I'm sure you can speak to the fact that it's it's just detrimental and exhausting to live yeah. in a state where you don't like yourself. 
And that's why inner child work is so powerful and is gaining so much momentum now is because once you can view that you're not just this one dimensional self, oh, I'm Jana, 57 years old, teacher, wife, grandmother, mother, all these roles and conditioned characters I play, that truly I am this individuation of the divine, I'm here for a purpose, and if I can connect with that core essence of who I am, because I believe that we all come in, babies, they're totally accepting of love and touch and, you know, they feel deserving. They We get conditioned to believe we're not, right? And so if we can reconnect with our, our emotional self, that, you know, wise little one, our inner child, and begin to say, like you say to clients, would I treat my little girl this way? Would I behave this way? Would I, you know, speak to myself? If there was a real child here, would I tell her, you know, oh, get over it. Stop being a baby. You know, sometimes we'll hear ourselves say this, like, you know, you're making a mountain out of a molehill, just drop it. Like, would we say that to a child if they came to us like upset? No. So it's like we're, you know, once we begin this journey of reparenting ourselves, and I teach it in a very, you know, I practice spiritual psychology. So in, you know, a very practical way of learning steps to connect with your emotions, your inner child, listening, learning, um, it's a game changer, you know, because as the author of um of the alchemist i love it he said um, paulo cello from brazil he said you want to know your heaven or your hell he said i'll tell you one day when you're on your deathbed there will be a little boy or a little girl there and if you know them that is your heaven but if you don't that is your hell because the inner child is is spontaneous. They live in a sense of wonder. They're optimistic. They believe anything's possible, which it is. You know, they they live in a higher state of consciousness or they're connected with the truth of who they are because they haven't fully been conditioned yet. You know, we're talking before the conditioning's really set in. Totally. And that's the beauty of inner child work is it goes far beyond just the initial, the first steps, which is really even just identifying what that is to you and what the wounding is to your inner child that needs healing. But once the healing happens, that's when the magic of inner child work happens, which is acting and bring let, letting your inner child come out, right? Because just as you said, your inner child is that which is pure joy, which mm-hmm. doesn't have any reluctance to express itself, to have fun, to be themselves. It's that light. It's your, your youthful, vibrant, true self. And then also another great part of inner child work is developing the relationship because inner child work doesn't just stop. Once you figure out where the wounding is and you work with them and heal them, it's an everyday thing. And that's something I love about your book, Jana, is I haven't heard elsewhere very much people talking about their relationship with their inner child that they work on and consistently attend to because I've, I've mentioned this, I've done a few episodes on inner child work and I give you a shout out because there's a part in your book and I can never get over it. It's so powerful to me where you talk about 
you had met your now husband, your mm-hmm. soulmate, and you all had, I think you'd gone on a few dates. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And you found out that he was still married. Mm-hmm. And the part of you that was sort of maybe a little bit in fear thought, well, I, you know, I have to, I can't stop seeing him. Like I'm into him. I don't want to lose him. But your inner child was kind of yelling, saying, no, I don't, we can't get hurt again. Please don't. This person might just be, you. they might not be authentic. They might, you heard your inner child's worries. And so you stood your ground and mm-hmm. you told him, you said, listen, you need to get your divorce papers signed. You need to finalize this. And then you can come take me out. And right. I was just so impressed because again, to me, this is that turning point. Because so many of us who have cycled through unhealthy relationships, we compromise our needs because we're afraid of losing somebody or that we will be too difficult, that we'll be undesirable, that we'll be too much if we ask for what we need and that they might walk away. But the truth is that if someone is really meant for us, they will not walk away. And and your man did not walk away. He said, okay. And wasn't it three days later that... It came back. It was. It's we (laughs) teach people how to treat us, right? And I, my emotions, because I relate with them like little Jana, when an emotion arises and I distinguish core pain from suffering. So core pain is like, you know, there's a Buddhist slogan that says you can't, you know, suffering's optional. Pain's inevitable, but suffering's optional. And I agree. But I didn't understand it. At first, I didn't agree with it when I first heard it many years ago. But so we first have to understand our feelings, a.k.a. the child. So there's the child that's born that we were just talking about that's pure, that's innocent, that's lovable. If it's, you know, has a kitty cat and the cat gets hit by a car or goes up missing, we're going to grieve. That is a natural core pain of being human, right? Grief and sorrow. Um, but we're also helpless in that moment too, because we we couldn't control the outcome of the cat running and running away or whatever happened, right? So helplessness, helplessness over others, over things outside of ourselves is also a core painful feeling. The other core painful feelings are loneliness you're connected, you're in vibing, you know, you're happy. There's no one to share it with, or the people that are around you are on their phones or they're shut down emotionally. You're going to feel lonely. It's different than aloneness. Aloneness is more like existential pain, right? Like suffering, like what's the meaning? What's the purpose? So aloneness, grief, sorrow, helplessness over others, heartbreak, heartache. Listen, people are going to say and do mean things and it's going to break our heart. What's happening in Israel, I can feel my heart being squeezed. It hurts. It's painful, right? That's heartbreak, heartache. It's a natural part of being on this planet in this human form. So these are core painful and also fear. The last one is fear and present danger. But fear is a funny one because we have that acronym, right? False evidence appearing real. Fear meaning there's a bear about to maul me or something. And so So we have these core painful feelings. So if little Jana say something happens, I just had to put my dog down Bonita. And so I've been grieving. There's no quick fix over grieving. There's nothing you can do. You know, the five stages Elizabeth Kula Ross put out. We just have to ride the wave of the grief, right? So core pain is very different than suffering. 
suffering is now the child comes to me. And so that day that you brought up in the book, um, Lance is chatting away and he's saying something that she wants a legal divorce. Why so immediately know, oh my gosh, there's not even papers been filed and I mean a legal separation, not a legal divorce, legal separation. And I thought that's that's not even moving in the direction of a divorce. Like this doesn't work for me because immediately I couldn't hear what he said. I started going incoherent, you know, when you're in stress mode and you can't hear. And all I could hear, it felt like was a screaming child going, you promised, you promised you weren't going to hurt me. You were going to put my feelings first. And all I could hear was that. And so I had to get off the phone. I pulled off the side of the road. I remember it so well because it was a demarcation from old Jana to new Jana. It was like, it was so clear. It was so black and white. I had a choice. I could shut her up. I could sit there and I could say, but he's a nice guy and he will. And and I could have rationalized and justified and made excuses. But had I done that, I knew that that would have created a separation within me, within myself. I would have lost trust in myself you know, it doesn't take long if we're in a relationship and somebody says they're going to do something and they don't do it, that we don't trust them. So I had promised myself that I was going to move forward in my life in relationship by putting myself first, listening to myself, listening to my emotions. And that's not selfishness. That is self-responsibility. I am the only one responsible for my feelings. So I thought to myself, if I'm responsible and she's telling me I feel anxious moving forward in this relationship, I need to honor her. So I called him up and I said, I thought you were further along that you had filed. I just realized you hadn't. And, you know, I value myself. I have no intention. I just don't date married men, period. I don't care if they're separated, living in a new different house, in the process, whatever. You're married. I don't date you. So you get further along your journey. And then, you know, it was, I mean, I got off that phone and I was a different person. What did you feel? What made you feel, was it because you felt fully in your power that you really advocated for yourself or what was the shift that you felt? The bond, the separation prior to that was like little Jana, my feeling self was right there testing me and she was outside of me and I had a choice. I could fracture that relationship once again, like I had so many times and put men before myself and gave myself up and didn't value myself. But this time I said, no, I am your advocate. I value you first and foremost. You come first. I choose you. Even if that means it's just me and you, we're not alone. We've got each other. We'll go places we want to go. We'll wear clothes we want to wear. We'll eat the food we want to wear. I mean, you're literally, it's all about just being so connected. So in that moment, Whitney, it felt kind of like she went, I can trust her and that trust. And so then I had a weekend to sit with it because that was like a Thursday and I was like, oh, you know, the doubts crept up, but I just kept going to her no you come first. I love you. The right man will come along. It'll all work out. I choose you. We're fine. I just kept soothing that little girl. Everything's going to be good. You know, you can trust me. I told you I made a commitment. You come first. 
And so Monday morning, I got a text from him and I spoke to him and he said, I just want you to know you inspired me. You were absolutely right. I was hemming and hawing because of finances and this and that. And I just went ahead and filed today. She's getting served and and I feel so grateful. Thank you. And I was just like, oh, he has integrity. <laughs> oh, which is so huge. <laughs> That's yeah. number one on my list for for the for a partner is integrity. And but as we spoke to, if we want someone with integrity, we have to demonstrate it ourselves. Absolutely. We don't get what we want. We get what we are. So if I wanted a man that had integrity, that was honest, that was, then I needed to be that way. And for me, integrity is acting in alignment, right? With what you say you believe. Well, if I say, I believe that, you know, to thine own self be true above all else, that I've got to live in this experience of being this human my whole life. No one can walk this path for me, Mm -hmm. right? This is in many ways, we are, we are one and, you know, people we're consciously, we're all connected, but we are also individuals and no, if we get a diagnosis or if we have a, no one can feel the pain for us, take the sickness on for us. Ultimately, it's just us. And I knew that as a little girl, I think the trauma, Whitney, I can remember like in my own mind, realizing this, that, that, you know, this journey was, was all happening within me. And, and I needed to honor myself in some way, even knew that as a child, I would have like these epiphanies or these insights. But of course, you know, I was a child, so I didn't understand how that would unfold in my life. But thankfully, it finally settled. And I say, you know, I honor myself, you know, first and foremost, and some people call it selfish, usually the selfish people. Because they're projecting, right? Like, I I had a friend recently, I'd befriended and I had to cancel on her. It was actually weather, why I canceled. So it was not, not even my own personal reasons. And she got upset. And she said, when I was sincere about getting together with her, let her know immediately red flags went up because little Jana felt like she was being called insincere. And that's not true. So I knew I had to advocate for myself. So I said, you know, I think we need to have a clearing call because your texts felt passive aggressive. And I want to clear the space and really understand your intent. Because intents are driving force, right? So I have this call with her. I actually met her in person because she was somebody I cared about. And but I could see where I had been in the relationship putting her feelings first because I am a caring person. She was single, she didn't have a lot of money. So I was, I felt sorry for her. Well, as soon as we feel sorry for someone, we usually take on the role as the caretaker. So I was doing that dynamic and I just said, listen, I had no intent to hurt you to cancel, but I am always going to put myself first. And she said, well, isn't that selfish? I said, well, let me ask you, isn't it selfish for you to tell me I'm insincere because I'm taking care of myself? Like you're an adult, you've got to manage disappointment. People are going to disappoint you. You know, you got to manage that shit, (laughs) you know, like don't be throwing it off on other people. I'm not responsible for your happiness. 
So needless to say, the relationship ended because we just weren't at the same level, right? It's not a fit. It's like you're speaking Greek. Right. And that's such a big turning point in, again, really stepping in alignment with ourselves and learning what it truly means to honor, respect, and love ourselves is because a situation like that, before we do this work, we go into a tailspin of, oh my gosh, I am, I'm awful. I was so bad. I shouldn't, we doubt ourselves. We question ourselves. But when I picture when we've kind of come into our power, it's like all that frenetic energy gets sort of brought together and it's more structured and solidified. We don't have to go around questioning every decision we make. We want to look at it. And it sounds, you looked at that situation for a moment and you said, is this selfish? And you said, no, I made the best choice for myself, which I've heard before. And it is true is that the highest choice for ourselves is the highest choice for all. Because exactly. if we do something just because we don't want to disappoint someone else, we're betraying ourselves. And I've also heard betrayal of self is betrayal nonetheless. We yeah. think, oh, I can hurt myself. No big deal. I'll, I'll, I'll take the brunt of this situation. So you don't deserve the same consideration that someone else does. Why would you want to hurt yourself? And also when we force ourselves to do something energetically, it's not for the highest good. If we're only doing it because the only reason we do it, Jana, is because we don't want, we're people pleasing. We don't want yeah. to be seen as selfish or of whatever out of our integrity. But if we know for ourselves, if we become connected enough with ourselves to be able to make decisions with confidence, because we know that we're doing what we believe is for the highest good, we stop the questioning and we stay in alignment. We don't worry about when people criticize us, because just as you said, when people are criticizing that way, it's coming from their own fears and insecurities. She was mm-hmm. worried that you not being able to make it that day said something about her and it didn't. All mm-hmm. it said was you didn't feel comfortable following through with the plans. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And you brought up a good point, like betrayal, like oftentimes I'll hear, you know, somebody say, okay, I was cheated on. They betrayed me. They, I just had a client here. He was telling me this story And so I said, okay, so let's, you know, unpack this. Let's go a little deeper on betrayal. Did you ever, I'm curious, have any like red flags or any insight that your wife, you know, that there could have been this situation where she betrayed you? And he said, oh, yeah. I said, oh, you know, so tell me more about that. And so he shared. And then I said, well, So you had awareness. Let's now, you know, that awareness is your inner child. He was telling you something's in the field, right? You were picking it up and you were not trusting, but who were you really betraying and not trusting yourself? He was betraying himself because he wouldn't listen, right? He kept giving himself away to be the nice guy you know, he wasn't happily married. He wasn't, you know, and then she ends up betraying him because all along he was betraying himself that he was in a relationship. He wasn't in love with her and he wasn't happy. And, you know, so it's fascinating. And then embracing, you know, like I'm sure when I had the conversation with this, this woman, you know, I said, you know, I said, do you do realize I live what I teach? I said, so if you think I'm selfish, okay, I can accept that. I can be selfish sometimes. If you think I'm narcissistic, if you think I'm self-absorbed, if you think I'm uncaring and I'm thoughtless, there's no word and quality you can call me that I can't accept that I could either be that way 
in the past, present, possible future or to myself. So, you know, I that's shadow work, right? Once you meet yourself and you realize sometimes taking care of yourself, someone else may call you selfish. You got to be comfortable with that. It wasn't your intent to be selfish, but you have you're helpless over how they perceive you. And they think you're selfish. So you're like, okay, I can be that sometimes. And this is even biblical. You know, Jesus even said, like, agree with your adversary. High emotional intelligence is lean into the discomfort. So if you want to call me a name, like writing my book, you know, a few people have read it, just don't get this work, right? They're not, you know, it's all pseudo psychology or, you know, she said some, a few things and I thought, Ooh, that hurts. That's a trigger. But I know that's she's my teacher. The person giving me the bad review, the person criticizing me. These are teachers. We learn through that. Right. Not through the people who are. Oh, you're wonderful. You're great. You're stroking my ego. I learned from the people who are pushing up against me. But once I understand whatever they're revealing to me, I'm only triggered because I agree with it. So as soon as I can make peace with it and I can realize it's probably a wounded little Jana, a wounded part of me that was conditioned to believe she couldn't be a certain way. I just go tend to her. I reparent her. I love her. And then I say, yeah, sometimes we can be selfish. We can be, you know, whatever, you know, woo woo. (laughs) That's what she called me. Woo woo. (laughs) How wonderful to be woo woo. Yes, completely. So many things from that. One is what came to mind is a phrase that says, when you accept your flaws, no one can use them against you. And that's what it is because we all, I mean, and and to be fair, we all have our sort of Achilles heel. That's always going to hurt a little bit. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. from probably childhood stuff, whether it's being, Mm -hmm. you know, unattractive or stupid or weird that just still kind of hurts. But Mm -hmm. once we can say, okay, I feel that, but I know that I who I am. And I know that despite my fears around that, I, I persist. I still keep going. I still am unconditionally lovable. We're always going to have things that throw us off. We're human. If we were meant to be perfect and if we were perfect, we wouldn't be here. We have the human experience to be in the shadow and say, can I still know that which is divine and infinite, even in this dark muck that can be the human experience, right? Yes, like bitch, that was that one for me. And Debbie Ford too, my teacher in shadow. But bitch, like I think because I grew up in so much turmoil, you know, I I was angry. I mean, I picked up the parents' anger. I picked up the climate of the house and I was angry. And and if someone called me a bitch or called me angry, oh my God, I hated it. But what's on the opposite of anger is peace, is you know, calm being centered, being grounded. I'm also that. But of course, when you don't know shadow work, you don't realize you can't have one of the qualities without the other. It's like saying, I only want daylight, never dark. Well, if it was only daylight, never dark, we would never even know it was daylight because we wouldn't even have a name for it because we would just experience it. Right. Yeah. There'd be no contrast. Mm -hmm. So our shadows really teach us. And when I began my formal training and shadow work was very different than how I teach it now, because now I teach it rather than using parts therapy or seeing it in more like um, um, a sub personality of my psyche, 
like my bitchy self is a subpersonality. No, it's a little girl that got saw parents, you know, that were angry and mean. And, and then, and then I don't want to get fully rid of her because she sure isn't prey. Nobody's going to take advantage of her. She can fire up and take care of herself and she's strong. So I don't want to get rid of that part, but I certain, and that's how we, that's how we balance it. Right. Because we relate with it as a child and we love it. I understand little Jana has reasons to act out the way she does sometimes as a loving adult. So I give her grace, right? I say, you know, I understand you were, it's not what you said. It's how you said it. You were snarky. You were, you know, superior acting like, oh, because you felt so inferior when you were a little girl. And I behaved at 57, like a five-year-old just now, you know, with something. And I forgive her. I say, I understand. I'm sorry. You know, and I, and then of course, once we love something and not condemn it, it softens. But if we condemn it, it'll war against us. You know, it's like, oh, you think I'm a bitch? Let me show you how bitchy I can get, you know? Completely, completely. Because then if, because it is just like us as a child, I know that was one of my outbursts when I was young is when I felt like I was told that what I did was not okay or appropriate or allowed. Cause it, do, it really does fire this thing up that says like, well, then I'm going to really be that, then I'm going to come full force with it because don't tell me how I'm not supposed to be. Cause you feel like you're being rejected. You feel like a part of yourself rather than allowing a child to have whatever emotions come up because all emotions are a part of life. Exactly. My grandson, my daughter was telling me the other night that she put him to bed and he's very, he, he's very even killed emotionally, but she was putting him to bed and he was just overtired and he was acting out. And, and she said, you know, I'm just going to let you have some time in. She doesn't call it time out. She says time in to process your emotions and to be with yourself. He's seven and he's very emotionally intelligent. Clearly my daughter is raised in this work and she's done a great job. And so she, she said a little while later, about 15 minutes later, he came in the room. He said, okay, I processed. <laughs> and she said, and what did you discover? He said, I was just feeling angry inside and I just had to do some breathing. And he's like, but I'm feeling good now. Oh my goodness. So she didn't make him wrong, right? She just said, Hey, I'm gonna let you be with your feelings, you know, process them and then let me know when you're ready. That's incredible. That's incredible. And that's unfortunately the space that hasn't been allowed. I mean, really for all time. You know, it's there's so much about children that are told that, that you can't do that and that is wrong and you shouldn't behave that way and you shouldn't have these feelings, which is counterintuitive it's just counter truth to what is if it if we weren't supposed to have it it wouldn't happen we're meant to experience everything and nothing we can ever do or experience is quote unquote wrong it's what we do with it right exactly. so when we tell kids stop doing that go to your room until you've learned what's wrong about what you did that's so detrimental to kids cuz then yeah. that's where that seed is planted of oh this is really bad there's something to me that's bad and that is detrimental because it when we think we're bad, we're going to fight against, like you said, we're going to resist, but that is just a natural human part of who we are. And the less we persist it, the more it can just sort of naturally be expressed and then go away. Right. Mm -hmm. When we let something come through us, it doesn't fester, but when we try to hide it, it festers. Yeah. It's that what we resist persist, right? Yes. 
it's like holding down you've ever been at the beach and you have a beach ball or in a pool or something and I mean to put it under the water it takes a lot of energy and focus right you just gotta like be so focused and and that's impossible like we're always gonna have this stuff popping up you know these issues and challenges with life with people with and you know we see it in social media of course people going at each other and you know all that that's just wounded children right adult children it really is and that have so disconnected from their essence and and it's not their fault we're not taught we're not taught and it's to me in my soul, I know that things will change inevitably. Because again, as I was speaking to earlier, the way that we live now is so unnatural that you can't. And I believe that everything will return to what is most functional and natural. It's the way of life. That's how life keeps going is because when it finds something that doesn't work, it will adapt back to what can work. And the way we're doing it now is just reaching a fever pitch of ridiculousness. We mm-hmm. we fight about everything. We have discord around everything. We try to condemn others. And I'll tell you this, as long as we keep condemning each other, no matter what it's for, we will never truly heal and move forward. And that's the hardest lesson for us to learn because we say, how can we not condemn what's happening in Israel? How can we not condemn hatred? And it's not about not condemning something doesn't mean condoning it. It's not saying you accept it. It's saying, let's look at why this is happening And let's look at how we can heal this space rather than, again, try to condemn it to the depths of, you know, depravity, even though that's what it is. When we do that, where those people feel unheard, just like a child and until, and just like people who get a life sentence in prison, there are magnificent stories about inmates who, when they are allowed to speak about why they did what they did and the conditions that they lived under their heart opens and they shift. And there's amazing transformation that happens when people focus more on rehabilitation rather than just being punished. Right. And locked away. So it's hard to swallow. And and again, it's what you talked about, Jana, like some people might not lock like me saying that, but at a certain point, when you believe something in your heart, it, you got to speak to it because that's what our world needs now more than ever is people who are not afraid to speak what they hear from their heart. Cause the heart mm-hmm. is always guiding us towards our highest good and the highest good of all and what we're meant to really be. But when we bury that and we say, I can't say that because people will get mad at me. Then we keep in the same cycle we're in now is just round and round of, of concealing ourselves. Exactly. Which is inauthentic and it's fake and, and, you know, I think it it's important to for people to have at least an awareness because this isn't talked about a lot of, you know, because a lot of people have asked me about the book, like, like clearly, you know, how you were able to heal such severe trauma and things that happened to you and integrate the wisdom of those experiences. Not everyone can do that. Well, you know, that we are all at different levels of consciousness. And let's face it, consciousness is the ultimate reality of the universe, right? Awareness. And so from a young age, I had a, a very heightened awareness of behavior, of situations, of environment. I was very tapped in. I'm an empath, but I'm also an old soul. And, you know, everybody's at a different soul age as well. I believe this is my teaching, you know, my beliefs and and what I've learned. 
And it makes sense to me. Young souls want a war. They want to fight. It's me versus mine. It's, you know, and if you come at it with this idea that they should know, it would be like telling a, you know, a five-year-old they should be able to do trigonometry and speak 10 languages. And, you know, it's what? Like, it's so out of their conscious awareness. So we're on a planet right now. And we're seeing a lot of war and a lot of conflict and a lot of because internally people are in conflict in that war because their consciousness is still very constricted. It's still very infantile. You know, we have baby souls that are very religious and will kill you over their religion. We have young souls that just think AI is the answer and technology and, you know, let me buy up everything and monopolize the world and with, you know, with all my corporate money. And, and then we have mature souls that, and old souls, and we're kind of, you know, you and I, we're not the majority. The majority is young and baby. And so we're dealing with um, a point on the planet, I believe, and everybody I respect and what they're saying that those of us like you and I who have our devotional practices are listening to our heart, are listening to our, you know, feelings, our emotions, are tempering them, are managing and regulating our emotions, who are going out in the world. It's up for us to calibrate it, to lift it, to shift it, so that the young and the baby souls kind of have an awakening of oh my gosh, I can't find happiness in objects as the young soul thinks. I can't find happiness in the next trip or the car or the thing, you know, because that's not where happiness is found or the baby soul. I can't find happiness, you know, in church or, you know, reading my Bible or my Torah or my Quran or my, you know, like it's not found in a book. It's not found outside of you. It's found within. So we need enough people loving themselves, falling in love with their innocence. There is no child that would go to war with each other. There's no child that cares what religion the other person is or what color their skin is. You know, if we can all connect with our essence and our innocence and our lovability, one of the people I love is Prince E, E-A, stands for Earth. He's a black man from uh, Missouri and he does spoken word and he has a video. You've got to watch it, Whitney. It's called it's Prince E E A. And he does a lot of videos, but this one is it's about waking up from, you know, and living the life of your dreams. And he, and in it, you know, he, he's talking about this. He's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of us that are lifting the consciousness, right. That are saying, Hey, you know, it's, it's time for us to mind our own energy. Like you said, connect with our heart, send love and and acceptance out to everybody, not pick sides. Sides are a no win. That's how division happens. You cannot pick a side and still feel heartbreak and heartache for suffering on, on, you know, both sides, like, So we're just, we are, um, we're really at a time on planet earth, man, that this work and everything you're sharing on your podcast and my book, even, I mean, all of it is needed. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I'm so grateful to you and so inspired by you, Jana, because just as you you spoke to earlier, it takes courage because no matter how beautiful our message or how truthful and honest, some people are going to have a problem with it. They're not going to like it. They're going to say mean things. And it takes knowing that this isn't just about me, that we, our message is coming through for a reason. And also we're moving past our people pleasing days, right? It's recognizing Mm -hmm. that we're not going to be for everyone and not everyone is going to be able to hear our message. But as the phrase goes, those who have ears to hear, those who have eyes to see, they will feel it. They will hear it. They will know it. And those are the people we're meant to reach in this lifetime. We can't reach everyone because just as you said, there are different levels of souls here. And some are in their very first few rounds. And sometimes it takes a few lifetimes to even be able to open themselves to some of the ideas we're talking about. But the Mm -hmm. biggest thing that we can do, just as you said, those of us who are whatever you might call it, healers, light workers, those who speak, we, the most we can do is to model what we believe is right, but also to offer nothing ever changes by force is what I believe. People always come into change in the most natural, beautiful way. Just like you and I, you didn't come to where you are today by forcing yourself to change. It came when we usually surrender to Mm -hmm. embracing ourselves and to listening to our feelings, not trying to fight them. That's how we change. So when we just give offerings into the world, again, the right people will connect with it. And we, you never know, there's a ripple effect of everything that we put out. And even those that we think we can't reach, they might get their first little taste and there might be something deep inside them that is stirred just a little in this lifetime that you can't know the impact of, right? Exactly. Yeah. And when we're heart centered, you know, heart math, I trained with them and their hypothesis is if enough people could learn to live heart-based and heart-centered lives, which just simply means that we are getting out of our head, our thinking mind, and we're connecting with the intelligence that exists within us. And, And that is the child. The child lives in the heart, right? Our inner child is very heart-centered. They're very accepting and open and loving unless they're conditioned not to be. But before that conditioning happens, as I said, there's that Prince E video. He has a few of them. He has one, I'm not black and you're not white. Those are just labels we're called, you know, like it's we're we're rising to a collective consciousness. And this is the vision from Homo sapiens sapien, the one who knows he knows self-reflecting con- consciousness. Oh, I'm aware. I'm aware to Homo luminous and luminosity is being you know, just transparent. I've got nothing to hide, you know, because I'm completely transparent and open. And that's what I did in my book. I was transparent and with an intention of inspiring other people to know it's okay. You are not the choices you've made in the past. You are not your conditioning. You are this, you know, beautiful, ever-present, witnessing awareness, divine child, divine being, and you have a purpose on this planet. No matter what you went through, no matter what they said that you were, you know, called me white trash, called my family white trash, no matter, it's not about bank account, it's not about, you know, 
gender. It's not about religion. It's not about any of that. It's about love, which is the highest frequency, right? Of oneness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we all come back into the knowing of all of us. But just as you said, we're all in very different places in our journey. And when you take a step back enough, you see the exquisite beauty of all of it, of all that we would call bad or terrible or evil. It's all a part of this beautiful formation and creation that is the one that is divine. Mm -hmm. And how beautiful to, to be within that and to be experiencing that just as we are. Yet I do think that we all deserve the ability to come into a, a state where where you are, where you can actually begin to embrace and enjoy it. Because I think that's the tragedy a little bit of earth, again, even though everyone's in their own process, is that not many people feel like they can enjoy their lives. And that's our birthright is to experience joy. That's our soul experience is the feeling of joy is our soul expressed. Absolutely. And th- the point of life is not doing right? The point of life is really to know who I am and that I'm worthy without, you know, having to prove myself. And once I know that it's not an intellectual idea, but it's dropped into my behavior, into my beingness and how I show up that I am this beautiful divine being then my purpose, my activity, my doing is sourced from true beingness that I was worthy without having to do this. Now I do things well, just for the joy of it, for the love of it, not because I'm having to prove myself. Absolutely. And that's the experience of freedom and of peace. And it's the most brilliant feeling. And once you get a taste of it, you yearn for more. And the wonderful thing is that that, you know, that's the easiest thing to work towards is just beginning cultivating that love. And then it just sort of becomes inherent, like second nature, rather than as you and I have both experienced the opposite, which is digging deeper into trying to prove and find our worth somewhere else outside of ourselves. Once you see that it's within you always, once you, as you spoke to open your heart, you realize that nothing can compare to that feeling. No amount of accolades or attention that, again, we might have experienced some addiction to in our lives can compare to that feeling of just feeling your own remarkable brilliance, which, again, we all have and all deserve to experience. Absolutely. And, Jana, that's, again, why I appreciate your book. And I also just have to say I absolutely loved your book. I read it from cover to cover way quicker than I thought. I was excited to pick it up and open it, but I didn't expect to finish it within like three days. It's an absolute page turner. It's such a brilliant story. You write it so well. Again, it's just a work of art and I appreciate you so much. I couldn't recommend it more to everyone listening because again, you not only hit on inner child work, but so many other themes that everyone is seeking guidance or insight around right now, right? Why Mm -hmm. do I feel this way about myself? Why do I have these same patterns? Why do I hurt so much? How do I find a way to accept myself? And you hit on all of these. So it's not only a brilliant story, but also an incredible resource that you've offered to people. So I appreciate you for that. Yeah. And then Jenny, you've also created something called the emotional healing system based on the work that you do and sort of around the premises of your book. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. The emotional healing system is really teaching someone about how to integrate certain tools. Like we go to a therapist and, and we may 
you know, start to touch on things, but never really able to get really deep. And most people, if they're given the education, they could use that education to create practices in their life. So the system is foundation. As I said, consciousness is the root of everything. The most important thing someone listening on their healing journey can do is to sit in stillness and silence every day and just source their own presence, being with themselves. Um, people who are new to meditation or mindfulness, a good mantra to use is soham, means I am in Sanskrit. So just kind of breathing in, so exhaling hum. So that's foundation of this emotional healing system. And then we teach people, you know, like I shared earlier, what are core feelings? What are wounded feelings, suffering? How do I create these wounded feelings? Not to feel victimized by their stories that, you know, the story in their life was the crisis that preceded their transformation. It's like where we're at on planet Earth right now in crisis. Crisis always precedes some kind of evolutionary growth. Things are breaking down, not working the old way. So we got to find new ways to do it. We do that individually as well. So the system teaches people to really understand their psyche through psychosynthesis, through how to understand they have parts that they call good and bad and light and dark and right and wrong. And but ultimately it's just is, you know, it's not right or wrong or good or bad. Um and then we do forgiveness and, the, of course, the reparenting and envisioning. So the system is really what I feel complete. When I went on my journey of healing and I was saying, you know, what are all the experts saying? What are So I just began to compile everything that they were saying. And it was, you know, this entire system. I don't think I leave really anything out even somatic practices, embodiment practices, um, you know, so really using it all. And we're writing my husband, who's a physician, and I are co-authoring that book now. It's called The Emotional Healing System, you know, how emotions, you know, transform our world. I mean, let's face it, we're emotional beings. That's how we're creating everything. Yes. Wow. You're truly doing so much, Jana. What incredible creations you're bringing into the world now. I'm so happy for you and where you Thank are you. now in your life and your journey. Again, you're an inspiration. Not only have you learned to find love and healthy relationships, but you've truly learned to have that relationship and love with yourself. And again, that is when people reach that state where you are, it's, you don't even have to do anything. Your light is just emanated out into the world and raises mm -hmm the vibration raises the consciousness raises the love on the earth. So thank you for being you, you and doing all this work. And Jana, if people would like to read your book and work with you and learn more about you, how can they find you? Well, um, my website, janawilson.com is the book website. You can purchase the book on Amazon or, you know, all online retailers or even local bookstores can um, order it but Amazon always has the lion's share. And then my retreat business is emotional healing retreats. We're getting, we're form the staff and I are uh, working on 2024 calendar. Now we should be offering a few live group retreats next year. Most people work privately with me 
And so they fly out to Santa Fe and we have a healing center here. They stay and they work private, but we offer group retreats as well. So you can find that at emotionalhealingretreats.com. Wonderful. Jana, thank you so much for being on the show. So wonderful to have this amazing conversation with you. And I look forward to having you back when you've created even more wonderful things into this world. Yay. I would love to come back. Thanks, Whitney. Absolutely. Take care. That wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening to Women Waken. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and come back for more. If you'd like to connect with the Women Waken community, you can find us on Instagram at Women Waken. And if you follow Women Waken, you can get a free tarot card reading if you just send a DM. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And don't forget to let your unique light shine into this world.